So welcome to another edition of Bonus Cuts. Today, I'm really excited. We have an amazing doctor with us, Dr. Jale Tung Chen. He is an attending physician at the Hospital Universitario La Paz in Madrid. He's chief of the Division of Ultrasound and Internal Medicine. Dr. Tung Chen completed his residency in Valencia, Spain and then Emergency Ultrasound Fellowship at Massachusetts General Hospital. Today, we're going to be going over one of the podcasts that came out on his study, The Role of the Femoral Vein Doppler in Acute Heart Failure Patients, Results from a Prospective Multicentric Study. Before we get into it, let's just welcome him to the show. Jale, great to have you here. How are you doing today? I feel excited uh, to be invited to the podcast it's always a pleasure, Mike and Zach, to be here and share this uh, wonderful time with you. Yeah, we especially love talking to people in different countries, you know, across the sea, getting to hear different perspectives and different ways ultrasounds being used and how we can apply it to our own patients too. Yeah, the same goes for me. So every time I have this kind of uh, activities, conversations, it's uh, always exciting and I always get insights to take home. It's wonderful. That's why we keep inviting you back. Yeah, we'll de definitely get into um, maybe how ultrasound is different in Spain. You know, it, that's the, the fun part of having an international community. So we're really excited to uh, jump in. So right now in Spain, um, point of care ultrasound is quite common in emergency departments, primary care, and internal medicine. The problem is that the use and the training is quite variable because right now we don't have a training, a formal training or credentialing like you have in the in the States. In the last years, there's been putting a lot of thought from uh, scientific societies to have this kind of credentialing because thanks to COVID, we have many more ultrasound machines available. Just need to train our physicians, our residents. And I think we, we can be optimistic with that. And in the following years, we will have many more believers joining in our work and efforts. That's great to hear. So would you say right now it's really common to see ultrasound being used in heart failure patients? Is that like a common indication? Yes, definitely. And actually, we should always, uh, when there's a suspicion of heart failure, you have to ultrasound your patient because the treatment will rely on the things you will find in the ultrasound. And even more, how many times you thought you were 100% sure your patient had heart failure and then you ultrasound your patient and you find out, uh, surprisingly, that it was around the 10 15% of the patients that actually had another disease, which are the numbers in the published in the literature. So always you have to ultrasound when you are facing a heart failure patient. Well, that's a great transition to your article that I planted there. Like Zach said, this article is called The Role of the Femoral Vein Doppler in Acute Heart Failure Patients. And this was published in April of 2023. And we were just fascinated by this article. If I could just summarize it quickly, this was a prospective study, 74 patients who were admitted to the hospital with an acute heart failure exacerbation. And what they were looking at was a correlation between this novel measurement of a common femoral vein Doppler flow. And they're trying to correlate that with measurements 
of echocardiographic right heart dysfunction, essentially, which was a number of different measurements. And what they found was, yes, they are correlated. And more specifically, the strongest correlation was between having a large IVC and a pulsatile flow in the common femoral vein. So I think the idea behind this is that if you see a pulsatile common femoral vein, you can be fairly sure that that patient would have a large IVC, which can provide valuable information in a patient with heart failure. Is that a, a fair summary, Jale? I couldn't explain it better, summarize it better. And actually, many of the problems we find in our daily practice is that some of the echocardiographic uh, measurements are hard to take. And, and even with this, what we try is to get easier a window to get that information because I won't apply it for every patient with heart failure, but I might uh, get the uh, a quick look by looking the femoral vein. And then if I need to add more information, I can go from there to the IVC and then to the uh, rest of the vexus or the heart. Mm, we were going to ask you about vexus. So was this idea, did it come about before vexus was really popular? Is it because it does seem along the same spectrum of principle, like you're basically looking for a backup of blood flow to tell you that this, the right side of the heart and and therefore the kind of the systemic venous circulation is getting backed up either by organ dysfunction and Doppler or by this common femoral Doppler flow. How are they related? How do you see them being used together? You know that as the common femoral vein is connected to the IVC, everything that enhances the pressures, raises the pressures of the right heart to the IVC and the IVC to the common femoral vein, you can pick it up uh, at the common femoral vein. But as you mentioned, it's not all that because as uh, the same goes for the uh, IVC, there are many limitations that you have to be reminded. The same goes to the common femoral vein. And even more, you can add a couple of more limitations like having a DVT or, or venous insufficiency. So those will add limitations to the measure of the common femoral vein. But then it's also much easier to get that information. Say that mm, this common femoral vein could be a substitute of the vexus. That's not the reality. With vexus, what you expect is to see the congestion and the damage the organ damage of the congestion or the high pressures. But here, what you will see is the impact of the high pressure or volume going from the IVC to the common femoral vein. Does it make sense? Makes sense to me. It's a very smart idea that I would have never have considered. Did you see this in the literature before you came up with this idea? Were people doing this? The mastermind uh, behind this study is my colleague and mentor, uh, Marta Torres, who read a lot about uh, the common femoral vein. And discussing about the common femoral vein, we, we realized that there was a lot, a bunch of literature about that 20, 25 years ago. But the, the literature was um, a little bit of lack of standardization. One of the manuscripts talked about facility, other about pulsatility, other about retrograde flow. And what we wanted was to standardize it and grab all the parameters we found that could be useful and put it into this study in heart failure patients and to see uh, what would be uh, the result. I love the, the idea in general. Just, you know, 
when I'm teaching residents, sometimes it is hard to get those certain views. And even as a fellow, when I was learning some of the more advanced echo findings, you know, you struggle sometimes to get the same view or repeat the view in, in some cases. Like if you're going to do maybe say VTI and you want to see if the fluid bolus did something, you know, if your measurement, if your angle is off a little bit from your first measurement, you really can affect those values. And so I love the idea of maybe an easier window as a standalone finding or as part of the whole picture using the femoral vein, the heart, the IVC, parts of the vexus and putting it all together to just take care of our patients the best we can. And actually, Zach, what, what I do with my residents is always uh, start with the, the easiest part of the of POCOS, the tool that will later engage them into POCOS. And I usually teach them how to do, uh, to rule out DVT because it's extremely useful and it's easy to get the windows. So the same goes with the common femoral vein. If I teach them to rule out heart failure or be suspicious of pulmonary hypertension by taking a look into the common femoral vein that uh, you don't have to quantify the, the wave. You just, it's, uh, it's qualitative. So you can see the pulsatility just by looking at the, at the Doppler waveform. So with that, they will grab a lot of information than rather tease them how to grab the convex the curvilinear probe, and then to put into so those subsurface because sometimes you know the colon can be tricky, the gas can be tricky, and some patients can, can be really hard to take out to get that information. I like your idea of you start with that one because it's low activation energy to get them into it and interested and in applying those principles before you continue on to some more advanced Doppler interpretation. Yes, totally, because you don't have to master all the measurement by uh, getting uh, more expertise. The more you grow in this, in your training, in your expertise, you can get more complex measurements like uh, the ones in echocardiography that can be tricky and hard to get, as Zach mentioned. Yeah, and for where we were before you did this study, I don't think this was at all like standard of care. I don't think a lot of people were probably going to the common femoral vein in heart failure patients. So I liked what you did was gathering up pretty much all of the variables. Like you said, there'd been a few papers here and there that looked at into this. Your team wanted to do was say, we're going to take all of the parameters of echo, you know, because you did everything from like regurgitation to more complicated Doppler measurements and the IVC, obviously. And then you looked at not just the common femoral vein pulsatility, but you also wanted to see retrograde flow and a couple other parameters. And then you tried to find, okay, which of these is going to be the most valuable connection that we can maybe standardize into some sort of protocol that we would do in the future. Totally. And, and, and more, the same goes for the echocardiography and the vexus measures we, we took, because we felt that there was missing about the information about how you need to repeat these measurements. What is the optimal timing of repeating during hospitalization, afterwards, uh, during follow-up? So we wanted to answer that as well. And we found that uh, repeating uh, 
Vexus didn't add any more information, the same as uh, repeating the echocardiography stuff. So we found that probably by having uh, just the common femoral vein IVC will be enough to monitor that patient. Yeah, that's a good point. We were going to ask about that because what you're referring to is that each patient in the study got this exam when they were admitted to the hospital and then also when they were discharged from the hospital. And we have to give a shout out to our expert reviewer, Matt Fields, good friend of Zach and mine. And he did ask the question in, in his review of this, this article, why we needed to repeat it on each patient twice, essentially, because then you're kind of double counting. And you're saying it's because you specifically wanted to see, was there a change in those parameters after they got treated for their heart failure exacerbation? Yes, uh, totally true. I agree. Uh, with Matt, uh, we wanted to see if there was a change in order to use it as a monitor parameter of my treatment, my therapy, and as a prognostic factor. And then, we, well, uh, actually, there's something I didn't mention that we repeated even uh, at the emergency department three days after admission, a week, and discharge. But then we we saw that that was futile, the, it didn't add anything, didn't help anything. So we just took with what we found uh, significant. Uh, that is uh, the admission and discharge. Because the, why is so important uh, to repeat it as discharge? Because we wanted to see if it was related to the readmissions and with the need of increasing uh, diuretics. Sometimes you, you discharge the patient with a still too congestive, and that was a marker of uh, how was the patient uh, going uh, after the hospitalization. I like that a lot. And I, I think that that's really a, a nice use of ultrasound to not, you know, in the emergency department, we're really using it to make the diagnosis a lot of times. But then when we hand it off to our internal medicine colleagues, it really becomes more like a prognosis tool. How are you monitoring the patient, deciding when they're ready to go? I think we've moved on from you know dry weights and those types of things. So I, I really like that idea of using it to figure out, you know, is this patient ready to go? Are what's their chance of bouncing back to us? And so I, I really applaud that effort. Jumping onto what Zach's saying there, I would love to hear how finding this. So let's say you have a heart failure patient, you know that they have a retrograde common femoral vein flow or, or very pulsatile common femoral vein flow. Does that make you treat them differently as an inpatient? Does that change your management? At this moment, you shouldn't change your practice because of uh, of the common femoral vein. We don't have that information yet. We should put the findings of this study and the many more studies that will come out in the following uh, months and uh, gather all that information and do a, try to do a prospective interventional study and to see if adds uh, anything to it. Uh, what, what I can say is that uh, each time you do something into your patient, if physiologically, you will expect to see an hemodynamic change. And what we try to find is what would be the best parameter to, to measure that change. And we, we know uh, from our data that uh, uh, some of the suprahepatic veins or the intrarenal veins might not have that change in the acute setting. And 
others like uh, the IBC are more prone to change uh, after the diuretics. So what we're trying uh, basically to find here is uh, a parameter to monitor and to guarantee that my patient is going the same that my patient tells me that he feels okay to see that actually is quite uh, dry to don't come back in a while. That makes sense. Can you give us a little bit of practical pointers? Let's say I wanted to practice doing this. I know where to put my probe. I, I got the common femoral vein in there. How do I make sure that I get a good Doppler and discern if there is pulsatility or anything weird going on with it? What I will do is to get a pro and first of all, what I is to rule out the DVT. And uh, once I see that there's nothing, move above the saphenofemoral junction and then I will put color and see in the, like in the vexus litter, I will see the pattern of the color pattern and then put into a longitudinal view with some degree uh, below 60 degrees of uh, uh, deviation of the axis and I will put the Doppler. I will adjust dynamic range to 20, uh, 40 at most and then to take a look there. Sometimes I, I will need to move a little bit above uh, to, to get a good uh, pattern because if you are too close of the, of the artery, you will get the pulsatility from the artery or if you are too close to the valve of the great uh, saphenous, you will get the reflux from that. Wow, that's some good points to know because I didn't remember reading that. So you got to make sure you're not getting a false positive pulsatility either from nearby venous valves or from that artery being too close to the femoral artery. Well, I think we're wrapping it up. We really appreciate all these things that you've been talking about with this study. Again, we did find it really fascinating. So it's great to pick your brain about what went into the design and how you're implementing this in practice now. Um, what's next for you and your team? I mean, we are always looking for your articles because you do such fascinating things. We've looked at your articles about, you know, the risk of patients in GI bleeds, and you've done a lot of COVID publications too. So what else you got cooking? And it's always a pleasure to share what we're working out because the more we study about it, the more we will come up with something that will bring a focus to the top. So what I'm working right now at the moment is uh, uh, the role of vexus and uh, the common femoral vein in pulmonary embolism. There's been a study published a couple of years ago about the utility of seeing the uh, pulsatility to see in pulmonary embolism. And uh, what we wanted to see if any of these measures could help us to determine the intermediate high risk or intermediate low risk uh, pulmonary embolism patients because you know the prognosis from these two are quite different. I, it's quite uh, hard to to know the, to stratify it, uh, to classify it, and uh, uh, we wanted to see if uh, focus could uh, help to light that scenario. That's a fascinating idea. Yeah, because I know you mentioned. There has been some prior work correlating pulmonary embolism, severity, and these measures of common femoral vein pulsatility again. And so you're trying to put it all together now, looking at vexus, 
common femoral vein, some of this other stuff, and try to figure out if you can get an idea of the severity of a diagnosed pulmonary embolism. That's really fascinating. Especially in the intermediate work group, because the high risk group, uh, you definitely you know how to manage that. And the same goes for the low uh, risk group. But in the intermediate, you, you can have people with high risk mortality to those who would just do fine at home. And that sounds similar to what some other groups have tried to identify with the early systolic notching, looking at that abnormality in the pulmonary flow, pulmonary arterial flow, uh, and also TAPSI, I think people have looked at too. All of this trying to kind of prognosticate in those submassive, that middle group of pulmonary embolism, which seems such a large spectrum of either not that sick or very near being a massive pulmonary embolism. Yeah, and I think the literature about kind of pulmonary um, embolus response teams have shown that that they haven't really panned out as as well as we would hope. And, and it's probably because we're just not finding the right population for when we have to really go big and get everyone involved. So stuff like this is really going to have huge implications on how we treat patients. So I uh, kudos to you for doing the hard work and I'm excited to just read it and apply it. We could um, make the difference by changing it to a pulmonary embolism ultrasound response team, whereby you have a team that rushes to every pulmonary embolism, performs every ultrasound possible, and you know throws that into the uh, mix of trying to figure out what to do with that patient. No, no, totally. Uh, we see this patient having thrombolysis and uh, uh, recovering from that missed systolic knock, getting the normal pattern flow. So it's possible. Uh, we should do it to diagnose, to monitor, and to prognosticate. Jolly, your team is always ahead of the curve. So we love hearing from you. Thanks so much for joining us today for another episode of Bonus Cuts. And we really look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks again to Jale and his whole team who put together this article. And thanks to you, audience member, for listening to another episode of Bonus Cuts with us. Again, you can go to ultrasoundgel.org to check out the show notes from this episode and many more resources. Until next time, we'll talk to you later. More. 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 That's very flattering. I don't know.